1: Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the second big comics podcast starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. The question is, who watches The Watchmen? Well, if you're HBO, not that many people. And if you're the movie, I mean, God, I mean, for such a good film, at least in my opinion, not many people saw it. But that is the question, nonetheless, who watches The Watchmen? Where did they come from? Where did they go? And should they be brought back? That's the question we'll be asking today as we go through Alan Moore's classic series, The Watchmen, published by DC Comics. As always, we have the miraculous Mr. Mark Clare. Mark, how is life?
2: Ooh, I like being miraculous. I was marvelous recently, so miraculous? I'm trying
1: trying to go with the M theme. The mighty Miraculous miraculous. sounds better.
2: Because anyone can be marvelous, 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 marvelous. but um, miraculous. That's well. That's a miracle. What can
1: we say? The miraculous miracle that is Mark Clare. Boom!
2: That's me. Boom. How's it
1: going, Ramzo? It's another day in the life of. Uh... Another person living in pandemic America. Let me, let me tell you something that I'm, I'm, I'm actually genuinely grateful for. Okay. Um, there, I, I, I miss movie theaters. I, I really do. I miss movie Absolutely. theaters. I wish there were more games coming out. It seems like so many portions of just regular life, just these little luxuries we take for granted, have just disappeared. And I mean, my family's healthy. We're doing good. I'm still able to see my friends regularly. Uh, my girlfriend as well, but when it comes to just the things that keep me going, um, you know, I've, I've jumped back. My graphic novel collection has just imploded since this whole thing started, but I am, I am thankful that in the midst of the the publishing scare that we saw, um you know dc actually managed to go ahead and break away from diamond and go to several different publishers so that way they could start their new weekly schedule uh back up and running to keep the shops going as well as have their new publishing day, which is Tuesday. And I, I understand where a lot of people are s- upset about this because now this means more credit checks, more, more paperwork, more stuff for these small stores. But what I'm hearing overall is that DC Comics really may have saved many of the comic book stores that are still out there. And while you know this may not have been the thing that anyone wanted, it matters to fans who want to see their, their titles come back up. And you know, just to get out of the house once or twice a week to go pick up my poll list from my local store, go visit a few of the others in my area. We've got Amazing Comics Shop, Flashback Comics, and Big Planet Comics. Just those little things have really, have really kept me going. Because when you can follow along with your favorite hero and your favorite writers, it, it, just, it just adds that little spark of something to look forward to. Yeah, and for
2: a lot of people, it's, it's easy, to, including me, to just uh, sit here and click on Comixology and download things. But when DC made that move and a lot of people were upset, understandably – the fact was it is what enabled them to get books to stores and books need to get to stores for humans to come to stores and then the stores need those humans to stay open. And, and I, even though I have largely out of convenience switched to digital comics, I do want to encourage people. And I do myself from time to time when I can to enter your comic book stores, flip around, talk to the owner, make them know, make yourself known to them and really help these guys out because the the comic book stores have always been the heart you know, and soul of the, comic book industry. That's that's where you find out about new books. I mean, now it's different. Now we have the internet. Now we find out about everything online, but there's a community aspect to comic book stores and to really holding those books that I am afraid. I'm not afraid. It's it's pretty much a fact that a lot of stores are going to close in the coming years. I don't think we can can deny that reality. It, it was but, happening um,
1: with or without COVID. The exactly. economic factors were just not there for them.
2: Exactly. And I believe you did a whole breakdown of the, uh, the economics of this on... That actually wasn't the show. That was your other show, wasn't it? I could get them all mixed
1: up. Way yonder back on the feed of On The Run with Rumser W. Martinez, you can go ahead and find. I gave, a, I gave a full episode based off a series of articles by our good friend Rocky Fahrenberg, where he basically took you from the inception of the classic American comic book genre from the 1930s up until really 20, 2017, 2018 to where we are now. So I was picking up, really looking at this new COVID world. And uh, it's, you know... I I don't think it's going to be brighter, but it'll be different. And whereas Marvel, you know, had the chance to be the hero in many situations, what we saw was that it was really DC and in many ways also AT&T, love them or hate them, uh, that actually came out when, when books needed to hit shelves and store owners needed to go ahead and get paid. So I think things have ultimately worked out for better. Indeed,
2: indeed. And then um, we also covered the uh, DC editorial bloodbath on our Patreon feed on a bonus segment. So just another reason to support your favorite two nerdy p- podcasters over here at Second Print Comics. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. We have early releases of all the episodes. If you're a Patreon, you've probably already heard what you're hearing right now, if that makes any sense. And you're hearing all sorts of bonus stuff, including a bunch of Remzo rants. And we also hopped on and talked about that. DC bloodbath, something else I'm just going to decide to announce now live on Do the fly it. in the moment. Right last week, as fans of the show know, we did a whole breakdown of The Incredible Hulk by Peter David, uh, specifically looking at the Hulk Future Imperfect uh, series, amongst a few other issues. Not not seconds after we dropped that, and I didn't even realize that this this was on the way so quickly, uh, they just dropped the Maestro miniseries by Peter David with art by Dale Keown. And uh, he is one of the great all-time Hulk Hulk artists of that run as well. Also eventually uh, did Pitt over at Image. And uh, that's an awesome team. That was going to give us the entire drawn-out origin of the maestro. So I'm going to say right now, we're going to do a bonus show recapping that series as well since it's just it's too much to try to go back and cram it into an old episode but uh, for our patrons you'll get our breakdown of the maestro series as
1: well and this is what i love about the fan zone like i i I always get the updates from all the other comic book sites but i didn't even know that series is coming out until you posted about it yep me too (laughs) but speaking
2: of I, i had heard rumblings of it months ago but i had i guess i forgot about new comics coming out for a
1: while but then here it is appearing in my feed one day I think Marvel has forgotten about new comics too. Oh, did I go there? Anyway, Mark We're all on uh, the same page. I I I don't want to leave this out because if I don't mention it, I will totally forget about it. Folks, we are doing a giveaway. And this isn't just a one-way giveaway. It's a twofer. It's a two-way giveaway. Uh, What I was able to do was I I, I went through the backlogs of back issues at my local shop and I found some gems. Uh, Well, they're gems to me. They're basically worth nothing to most people, but I found 14 copies of X-Men issue one from the 1992 X-Men volume two relaunch. That's right. The one that they made all the covers for the one that they printed millions of. And not only was I able to find 14 of those, but I was able to find one, two, three, four of the five variant covers. And I've got a uh, different, different numbers of each. And here's what we're we're willing to do. There are two ways to go ahead and get your hands on it. And as of right now, I think we only have 11 left. Go ahead and check in the group for the recent number. But these are disappearing fast. And basically what you can do if you want to go ahead and get your hands on one of these copies, go ahead and subscribe just at the $5 level on Patreon or higher. No matter what level you join at, you'll go ahead and get one of these copies before somebody else does. Or, and this one doesn't even cost you money; it costs everything. It means everything to us. They'll cost you nothing, leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Or if you're one of those Android people, uh, you know Stitcher, SoundCloud, one of the other apps, leaving something preferably on iTunes, but we'll take the others. Telling people why you're giving us five stars and why you love us so much. Screenshot that. Send us to us at the second print comics podcast page on instagram twitter facebook i was about to just say twitch face instagram like you know they're just all merging together if you could screenshot that and tell us if you could if you could do that we will make sure to send you your copy so two ways either support us on patreon or go the easy way and just give us a rating and review that's five stars if you give anything less than that no comic book for you but yeah,
2: I've got one nice, more yeah. way they can contact contact us. It's oh, brand new. How are you ready for it? Do it. It's really exciting. Second print at gmail.com. That's right. Our very own Gmail. Can you believe it?
1: We're real now. We're a real, boy. We're moving on up. There you go. So all We're those easy ways up, just
2: like the Jeffersons,
1: all the easy ways. That's about it. Ready for the topic.
2: These guys are smart. If these guys could find the show, they can find us on the Internet. That's the way I see it
1: absolutely these are nerds they're they're cut above the average social media user anyway you ready to get started yeah why not why not who watches the watchman yes oh i do i do fans. have to correct one thing, <laughs> uh, uh, thing.
2: why the email address it's second print pod at gmail.com just like it is everywhere on social media i don't know why i said comics let's, second let's put it, pod we'll at put it in the show notes. gmail it's our instagram it's our twitter Secondprintpod. it's our patreon that's what you want to find
1: there you go, folks. Well, Mark, Mark, and I will also go ahead and put in the show notes because I I mess up everything as well. Just one of and those. You can things. find those show notes
2: at secondprintcomics.com. Oh, there
1: you go, and that was correct. See, there you go. That We're doing this correct. live. This is a natural show. Just live with us. Be be with them. Be with be with us in the moment. No believe it or not, we do not rehearse this. <laughs> I think they know. I think they know that by now. But anyway, this is this is the podcast that. I'm trying to live a lie, Mark. Let me live the lie. A lie? Let, let let me live the lie and tell people that I think I prepare for these. I make no sense. It's, it's late. We're doing this late. I love for all of you. Anyway, who watches The Watchmen? Yes, humble fans. We were talking about Alan Moore's series, The Watchmen, the maxi series at DC that changed the landscape of comics forever. And more importantly, what happened to them? Where they have gone? Where have they succeeded? Where have they fallen? And where are they now? Uh, Mark, I know that you talk about this in previous episodes as we go ahead and talk about the things that brought us back into comics because everyone goes through ebbs and flows in their fandom. Uh, I, I will be honest, I, w- when I when I was in eighth grade, it was when the Zack Snyder film came out. And because of a lot of the content in that, what was funny was my parents bought me the Watchmen graphic novel, then figured out what was going on in it, and then they returned it and got me something else. And then I was not allowed to see the film for another four or five years. So by the time I got into it, it was way later. And at that time, I had read way more things. But for you, this is one of those series that helped actually pull you back, right?
2: Yeah, well, I had. So when I started reading in the 90s, I was reading, you know, the normal superhero stuff. Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, yada, 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 eventually got into Image. But I had always heard about The Watchmen. So I, I first read the graphic novel when I was probably in my late teens. I tracked it down and read it then, thought it was amazing then. But then, like you said, when I did first get back into comics after a little bit of a, a lull there, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, that was one of the first things I went back to because it, it was, and, and I think the movie had come out a little bit before that as well, and I'd seen the movie and, and loved the movie. Um, so I, I circled back, and, and it was just as amazing as it's been before. I've probably read it two more times since then, and uh, it really is the you know a seminal series um, in the history of comic books. I, I don't think there's any way around it. In, in many ways, it is. I like to think of it as it's almost a novel that happens to have pictures, just the way that Alan Moore writes. I would kind of look at uh, Neil Gaiman in, in a similar vein. They're, they're true authors, not to downplay any other comic book authors, but there's just sort of a difference reading an Alan Moore book, uh, even maybe a reading a Frank Miller book, where there are certain authors that, that feel like more than just comic book writers. They feel like actual novelists, if, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and for for The Watchmen, um, we, we've, we've talked about this because we covered Secret Wars. I mean, we've covered a lot of other stories. Comics are a medium that are often misunderstood because they fall into the stereotype as a medium only for children. But for anyone that's lived and not hid under a rock, uh, rock for the last 20 years, we understand that some of the most hard R-rated films, whether we're talking about um, – uh, Road to Perdition, or 300, or any of the others, what have you. Some some of those just aren't for kids, and I I believe Watchmen really made a lot of people confused when it came out because this was certainly a series that was not intended for a market that was usually within their teenage years. While you did have a lot of adults coming into it, you know, you really the the people that are driving the comic book industry now. the adults who were children then so for the Watchmen to come out when it did right at the end of the bronze age going on to where we are now it uh it, it caused a lot of controversy because of the topics discussed because of the political nature of it because of the actual graphic violence in there this is why my parents when they looked at like you know 11 12 year old remso and said you shouldn't be reading that they had some reasons to back it up and i'm not too sure now looking back I really disagree with that. And for once here, maybe
2: not for once, but, you know, one thing about Watchmen is it really portrays it doesn't portray the quote unquote heroes necessarily as heroes. There is so much black and white with the characters, uh, often more black than white. When it comes to a lot of the specific Watchmen characters, these are not saints. These are not angels. Uh, even probably the uh, the uh, the squeaky cleaniest of, of the characters, uh, the, the, uh, the night owl, he uh, yeah, he's, he's sleeping with a married woman. So <laughs> everybody's kind of doing doing dirty stuff along the way here.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we're we're going to go ahead and give a quick overlook because, you know, for many of you listening, you, you've probably heard of this. But we know, like every comic, it's somebody's first comic. And every episode of this show is somebody's first episode. So I'm going to try and do it justice to go ahead and give a recap. But essentially, The Watchmen takes place in a world where some strange things kind of occurred. One... There are, su- there are superheroes, but they don't have powers. They are costumed vigilantes that come out during the World War II period as they're hunting Nazis. And then later on, they essentially become you know, agents of the government and they're hunting down communists. But some of these costumed individuals start to go kind of crazy. Some of them happen to live out alternative lifestyles that do not fit in contemporary America. And like everything, it all leads back to this which of them are commies so essentially in this version of america masks are outlawed costume vigilantes are outlawed and uh some of them come out and basically let the world know who they are like um the original night owl who would pass his mantle on to the next night owl night owl Two, and some other characters who we will get familiar with one of them is a guy called the comedian and the comedian is funny just not in a stand-up type of way. More like, oh, that's he just... not funny ha-ha so much as funny uh-oh. Yeah, that's that's the best way to describe it. You've got him and he fights in Vietnam, but he's not the only one there and he's not the only one in this series who we're going to get very familiar with. The other one is the only superhuman in this world and they call him their Superman. He is Dr. Manhattan, who basically has powers that... I, I, I can't even fathom to describe them. He can basically manipulate reality he and is this, a god for all intents and purposes and uh you know for for the more immature of us yes he's the guy with the hanging dong throughout the entire watchman film the big yeah. blue dong it's just it's just there you try and look away and it's just there, swinging blue glowing it's it's there so dr manhattan is used by the u.s government to go into vietnam with the comedian and they basically wipe out the vietcong and not only do that do they do that, but they make Vietnam America's 51st state. How lovely. Yeah, because that just makes everything so much better. And it doesn't just make things better for them. It makes things better for one person who is so popular. And it, it always makes me chuckle when I have to say this. America somehow amends the Constitution to allow him to spend several more terms as president. Yes, we're talking about Richard Nixon. I am not a crook. Yeah, and he I've been is a, on that
2: one for not too long, actually.
1: Can, can, can you do the whole Nixon's back from Futurama? Nixon's back. Okay. You're going to do that each time I say Richard Nixon. My Bernie Sanders is much better than my
2: Richard Nixon, but neither are great. Let's be honest. I like the Bernie Sanders. The Bernie's okay. The Bernie needs work.
1: The Richard needs work. Let's move on though. This isn't about, this isn't about politics, Remzo. God, was Bernie Sanders alive during the Vietnam War?
2: God, yeah, he was alive. I think he was an
1: old then. God damn. Anyway, moving on. So Richard Nixon is allowed to serve another term in office, and he's basically just – I mean, he, he's, he's not leaving anytime soon. So now we're back in, in our current time, which is 1980s. Something has happened which causes the Watchmen, which was a superhero group that was formed you know, as a result of the original Night Owl, the comedian Dr. Manhattan, and several other heroes, to return. And basically, I think the year is 1984. Uh, somebody breaks into the comedian's apartment. The comedian is long retired by now. His days of killing are mostly behind him. Uh, somebody goes into the comedian's apartment and they have a throwdown and ultimately th- toss him outside of his window. No, it's not just, you know, throwing someone, at- someone outside the window of your house. They end up basically throwing him out of the 30th floor of his apartment complex. So that's a long ways down. And uh, while most people might forget who Donald Blake, the comedian, is... One person hasn't, and that one person is Rorschach, who I think is fair to say really the the question or the Batman of this universe. Well, actually, more so the question. He's got that little detective motif going on, right?
2: I think he was based specifically – these are all based on characters from – what is the name of the imprint? Why would we know that? Oh, who wasn't
1: it like Charleston?
2: Uh, but Yeah, Charleston. Or something there. like that.
1: Yeah, so oh, – okay, now I remember. I so think he
2: was actually based on – that
1: character oh so so fun fact okay so yes you're you're i'm glad you brought this up so basically when alan moore was writing this series he wanted to use characters that were real that were already existing within DC's universe that were bought from other publishers, such as the beetle and the question. So when he couldn't do that, because DC was like, no, we've got other plans for these people. He basically took their likenesses and he reinvented characters. And the person who was supposed to be the question is now Rorschach, but this is like the question. If the question was also a paranoid schizophrenic who brutally murdered people. And that's another reason why Rorschach is kind of upset because his, uh, his crime fighting dirty beaten down vigilante brother the comedian's been murdered and he knows that if somebody's gonna murder the comedian it's only a matter of time until everyone else is a target so he goes and he meets our cast of uh crazy characters we've got dan dryberg the night owl who at this point is let's say he's not in the best shape of his life he's not doing very well (laughs) let himself go very yeah, much so. He,
2: he went the other way during the pandemic. He uh he ate the brownies and watched Netflix. So yeah. Been, metaphorically.
1: It's making me reevaluate not, not, there's my not, own there's life. There's Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, well, I'm I'm just happy. I don't have to fit into tights anytime soon. Uh but moving on, somebody that does look good in tights, the Silk Spectre, who is t- uh who is currently with Dr. Manhattan, who is still walking around pantsless. And uh, he's warning them, and they're like, eh, whatever. The comedian was a dick. We don't really like him. And long story short, the series ultimately focuses around this question, who killed the comedian and why? And are the other Watchmen um, you know, possibly in danger? And to, to save you a lot of time, what we basically see is that one of the teammates, who's apparently not only one of the richest men in the world, but also one of the smartest men in the world, Ozymandias, who was also a founding member of the Watchmen, has basically been trying to take out those who he sees as a threat to his big conspiracy to ultimately bring about world peace. And what this means is that if you look back at the 1980s, what was one of the biggest issues we were worrying about? We were worrying about a nuclear holocaust. So... Ozymandias, who doesn't just want to be forgotten as another rich, you know, smart hero guy. He wants to make sure that he's really remembered as, you know, having done something impactful on human on humanity as a whole and not just a country or a generation. He essentially fabricates a crisis using the drained powers of Dr. Manhattan to find a way to go ahead and bring about peace amongst the USSR and the United States. And once we look at this, we're like, well, how does, how is that going to happen? They hate each other. And, uh, this is where I know many of you may have known about the watching through the film, but maybe some of you know, this as you're reading the comic, I'll go ahead and spoil it for you. So spoilers ahead. What he does, spoilers. using using the powers of Dr. Manhattan, he opens the portal to another dimension where a bunch of psychic squids fall down on all the major cities And blow up everyone's brains. It sounds weird. It it sounds a lot more serious in my head before I say it.
2: Yeah, you can't beat psychic squids. That was a pretty succinct recap of a twelve issue maxi series. I'm I'm pretty impressed.
1: And I did not rehearse this. Show's over. Show's over. (laughs) And uh, thanks, America. Read comics, change the world. Good night. That's the least I can do. Well, anyway, we uh, we, we can talk a little bit about it. So basically, the Watchmen see him do this, and he's like, if you want to make sure that this new piece, because now the world is paranoid about um, dangerous psychic squids falling down, can actually (laughs) last, you've got to shut up. And what do the heroes that survive do? They shut up. So the question is, how far are you willing to go to save the world? And even if you have to do some bad things to save it, does that make you morally right at the end? And this has been something that has changed comics as a result of that. And what we're going to go ahead and just continue focusing on is really the legacy of that through the Watchmen brand specifically, but also through the other ways in which it's impacted the, the world of pop culture around us. Um, Mark, as you were reading this as a, as a teenager for the first time, did you think that 30 years later, we would still be discussing this.
2: Well, it was already seen as a pretty historic work. I'm sure I didn't know I would still be discussing comics, period. (laughs) 30 years later, when I was a teenager, I probably just thought it was a a phase, which it was, but then it rephased. I rephased. Oh! Oh, But it it always, it, it, it felt historic from the beginning to me. I mean, from the very first time I read it, even knowing that it was so critically acclaimed and knowing what it was, it felt like a piece of history from the moment uh, that, that I started reading it. And like I said, it, it feels like a novel, but I don't want to say that in a boring way either, like, you know, that it's too wordy. It's not too wordy. It's, it's as wordy as it should be because the writing is so excellent and the storytelling is so excellent. And especially now, I mean, I think someone reading Watchmen now... I think they'd find the story very good and really enjoyable, and because it is a, a, a it's a heck of a ride, especially if you don't know where it's going, and you really get to learn all these new characters, and they really tell the origin stories. I mean, I just love the origin story of Doctor Manhattan, uh, both in the comic and and in the movie. And uh, that's one thing that's so great about the movie, just a little tangent there. I mean, that movie stuck almost entirely. I mean, almost verbatim to the comics, except for the ending. And we we can get to that. We can discuss the differences in the ending um, a little bit later. But uh, overall, I just I thought it was a masterful, masterful work. It was it was probably the comic book or the graphic novel, whatever you want to call it, that opened the door for me to reading more non straightforward superhero type stuff. Um, It probably opened the door to me reading Alan, not probably, I know it for a fact, it opened the door to me reading Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, which is a run we're definitely going to get into uh, down the road. It opened me up to reading Neil Gaiman. That's some strange shit. There's some strange, strange shit and all of that stuff. But um, I I think that books like Watchmen are... Really pave the way for looking at superheroes through a different lens. A darker lens, sure, but not necessarily, it doesn't have to be a darker lens, but just a different lens. Something outside of the straightforward, here's a good guy, here's a bad guy, the good guy defeats the bad guy, and now we move on with our lives. Watchmen is something totally different, to the point that, at the end, I mean, you can't even say a hero has triumphed in any way, shape, or form. If anything, the the villains won. I mean, really.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is, you, you, you described it in such a perfect way. This is a series that really makes you question, you know, who these who quote these heroes are and what makes them tick, what makes them do what they do. And uh, this has been described as really the beginning of the age that we're currently in. I don't think it's the official name, but it's certainly, you know, been been, been echoed throughout many of the popular films and series that, you know, we, we still love and read today. Um, Watchmen was really the first deconstructive mythology of the superhero genre watchman is or the first book that's that deconstructive. deconstructive this is the first yeah. book and this married with the dark knight returns um this is what's going to do it and, and i feel like i can't talk about this without talking about the dark knight returns ironically they were published at the exact same time and uh this actually caused some issues between alan moore and frank miller a lot of people have different accounts but long story short they believe that as because they were both published through DC. At the time, I guess for the writers, you had access to other people's scripts and stuff. So that way you could see that if you're writing something within the same universe or something, you can make sure that there are no continuity issues. There was a lot less organization of that. Now everyone kind of knows what's happening, so that way everyone can stick to themselves. But apparently, and I might be wrong about this, somebody should definitely uh, you know, reach out if I if I'm wrong about this. But Frank Miller got access to Alan Moore's script midway through the Dark Knight Returns, which is why, you know, and I think the five issues of the Dark Knight Returns, between issue three and five, you see more of a watchman type turn in terms of allowing more of the media to talk, in terms of the level of violence. And uh I don't know if I think that's true because I think it's turned into a he said, she said type of thing. But what cannot be denied is that, you know, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns is also in that superhero deconstructing genre that the Watchmen is establishing. And they've taken really the Adam West Batman and turned him into the so-called Clint Eastwood Batman. And that changes things because now no one really knows where things are going. Um, before we get into the film, because I, I really want to do a rundown of the film specifically, because I think it's been really misunderstood throughout the years. And only now is it getting more of that, uh, cult classic status. Um, DC had tried to pitch the film rights for this for years and there have been multiple attempts. There were even casting calls going from 1990 through early 2000. And, uh, eventually when it did finally get, um, you know, worked on in 2005, 2006, even then people were wondering what was going to happen. One of the biggest problems came with the rights. One reason why we don't see Watchmen anything for like 20 years is because DC didn't actually own anything more than the right to reprint. Alan Moore didn't want them touching anything. And that decision is why things have been so awkward over the years, because eventually DC does get the rights back. Which is why the last decade, especially the last three, four years, we've seen so much freaking Watchmen content. But in terms of the films, Mark, let let me know if you differ from me. I think if the Watchmen film came out now, post MCU or in the middle of the MCU, it would have done so much more. I mean, it would have been so much more successful than it did when it came out pre MCU.
2: Probably did it come out just before Iron Man?
1: It came out probably within the same year. But at that point, even Iron Man, people wonder if that's a one-off. And you know, the issue with Watchmen, and we brought this up, is that you know, the Watchmen is not your typical superhero film at all. This is not your Christopher Reeve Superman. This is not your Sam Raimi Spider Man. This is Zack Snyder at his Zack Snyderiest.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. I remember seeing the film for the first time and just thinking, damn, this is accurate. <laughs> like, this is, it was really, I thought it was so, and without feeling forced to be. I mean, I, I think sometimes a film can try to be too close to a comic book story to the point that it doesn't even fit as a movie anymore. But the way that Watchmen, the film, is done, they basically do the whole thing and they hardly diverge at all from from my point of view. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward movie. The portrayals are just spot on all over the map and the only major difference like i said is the, the little twist in the ending and uh but other than that and i, and I don't even see that as a negative but other than that it's completely accurate to to the original uh graphic novel um and i thought it was one of the best adaptations of a movie if not the best just as far as a pure adaptation goes that i've ever seen
1: yeah and i mean this is uh, i i I, I'm glad that Zack Snyder is finally getting his day in the spotlight because I feel like he was always the butt of so many jokes for so long. Um, I think that his cast alone for that film is ultimately what made it so amazing. And I want to go ahead and just give a rundown because these people are people that, I mean, they're, they're stars in their own right then and now. The first one is, you know, with my high school crush, Malin Ackerman as Laurie Jupiter, the Silk Spectre. Oh, my <sighs> God. Oh, my God, did she look good in that film. I'll just say it. I don't care. My God, she's why so many went, men went to go see that.
2: Not going to hear me arguing with you.
1: No. The the second one is the the luckiest bastard in the entire film, Patrick Wilson. And I'll, I'll be honest, I did not know of him before this film. I know him now more so for his role as um, uh Ed Warren from the Conjuring films, and he recently entered the DC yeah. Extended Universe as Ocean Master, which was nice, but his uh his Night Owl, like if he wanted to convince me he was a middle-aged guy who used to be an athlete at some point, but is in the prime of his life now and happens to get a much younger girlfriend, Patrick Wilson sold it to me.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, he played he played Night Owl perfectly. I mean, it, it, I can't think of someone in this movie who was cast badly. I mean, can you?
1: No. And I mean, the one person who everyone was really looking at at the beginning of, you know, this guy's going to make it or break it, was uh, Jackie Earl Haley. He played Rorschach. Mm -hmm. And oh my gosh, like we all, for everyone reading this, we, we all had that image of, I'm sorry, that sound of what we thought Rorschach's voice was going to sound like. And when I think of Rorschach, this guy did it perfectly. Like he is totally crazy. He is totally in the character. He is Jared Leto going like you know full intimate. I'm gonna live this. I'm gonna breathe this. I'm gonna be it. And you know after this, I don't think he did anything else. I mean, he may have, but I don't. He's I don't really think things. of that.
2: He's done a few things. He was uh, he played Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake a couple of years after. There that. was there was a remake. Yeah, there was an, an, like a complete reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street. That was in 2010. Was it good? Let's see. Um, it wasn't terrible, but not good, but not necessary, I would say. If you're going to uh, tell
1: somebody good. to watch Nightmare on Elm Street, is it going to be the one of Johnny Depp as a kid or is it going to be this one?
2: It's going to be the one with Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. No question at all. Uh, I, I just pulled up his thing here. He's also been in, let's see, he was in the Dark Tower, which I never saw the movie of. I heard not good things. That he was, was Preacher, a terrible which I film. I only saw
1: one episode of. Preacher was alright. I, I don't even remember who he was in that.
2: I remember liking the first episode, but not enough to watch the second
1: episode. That that basically describes why. I uh,
2: most off. recently he was in Elite Battle Angel, which I, I've also yet to see.
1: Apparently there's a big push to get that a sequel, but it's like people, if you didn't show up for it, like why would you demand the studio spend money on something you're not going to show up for? It's like why well, I wanted the Sonic movie to do so well because fans bitched and bitched and bitched online about how Sonic looks next. Thing you know, they pull the film, spend millions of gross amounts of dollars on fixing Sonic. And then it did all right. I hear it's getting a sequel. It made back its money, but you know, don't, don't be sad when people give you what you want and then you say, nah, I'm good. Speaking of which somebody who is, everywhere now Jeffrey Dean Morgan who played the comedian uh I I know him as Negan honestly oh yeah and I would love to call him Thomas Wayne aka the Flashpoint Batman
2: is that a real casting or a dream casting
1: well he was Thomas Wayne in Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, and Zack Snyder has expressed that if he could do a Flashpoint take on Batman, he would want Jeffrey Dean Morgan. And what did Jeffrey Dean Morgan say back? He said, "Hell yes."
2: Well, it's happening. It's not by it's not Zack Snyder, but uh, that movie is occurring supposedly with Michael Keaton appearing as the Batman.
1: Which I would still be happy. Maybe they won't even
2: do. It it makes me think they won't even do the Thomas Wayne thing if they're doing actual, you know, Bruce Bruce Wayne. But maybe yeah. he's doing an older, a grizzled Bruce Wayne. Who knows? But it makes me want to see the movie. I'll say that.
1: Yeah, and, and then Keaton is Batman, I'm in. Uh, you put Michael Keaton in anything, I'll I'll toss you my money. It's why I tolerate those god awful uh, MCU Spider Man films mm-hmm. because I because I liked uh, Michael Keaton as Vulture. And uh, and lastly of this awesome cast, we've got. Uh, Billy Crudup, who was Dr. Manhattan, and many people asked him if that was his actual dong, and he had to go ahead and clarify, no, it is not that blue. <laughs> but uh, he he also, much like Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Patrick Wilson, he also crossed over into the uh, into the DCEU proper as um, – as i think it's yeah as barry allen's father he's in the the josh he's in the joss whedon cut of justice league where he's behind bars because apparently he killed the flash's uh, mother even though they both know he didn't do it so we may or may not I give see it a him.
2: brief mention as is, as part of his origin story
1: and i have to preface it with joss whedon's justice league because we don't even know if it's gonna end up in the snyder cut which is the only cut that actually matters exactly yeah, so all star cast for an all star movie. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I think why audiences ultimately soured on it is because they were missing one thing, and they I'm sorry they were expecting one thing, and they ended up getting something entirely different. And I don't know if maybe it's because people aren't conditioned for those type of superhero films, but it's not like that idea of you know a, a darker, grittier. More deconstructive universe was anything relatively new. I mean, I'm pretty sure that The Dark Knight came out in theaters before it, and that's hardly what you could describe as a happy-go-lucky, you know, tights and people flying superhero film.
2: Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I mean, th- the idea of deconstructing superheroes has, has probably been around for a, a long time, but having—I don't know. I mean, I think The Dark Knight—you could you could definitely call it that. It was 2008. But, I don't know, it still feels like a mainstream Batman film. It's it's not necessarily deconstructing the entire concept of the superhero. It's just more of, I would just call it sort of a... Uh, a darker portrayal of a superhero. Whereas the watchman is really questioning the concept entirely. It's questioning even the idea, uh, as night owl says, who watches the watchman who's watching us. If we're out there causing all this destruction. Um, it's, I would almost relate it to, I mean, obviously uh, civil war is a much more comic booky type film, but I think the conflicts in there are asking some of the same questions. Like who is supposed to watch these people with these superpowers? Who is supposed to be in charge? Uh, should we have any regulation of, of, of this class of human slash superhuman? Um, I, I think that that movie plays on the concept, you know even more. And I don't know how much, I don't know if that was really taken from It's probably taken more from the Marvel comic by the same name, but it's the idea that all heroes aren't good and everything heroes do isn't necessarily good and should be questioned and might even be wrong is just a fascinating concept, but it's one that hasn't been pushed until the movie, the Watchmen. I don't think it's been pushed too strongly in any movies, at least any movies that were, you know, big mainstream hits. And uh, I think a lot of people that probably went to see the Watchmen, I, I have a feeling most people that went to see the Watchmen didn't, know what they were going to see didn't know they had not read the graphic novel uh, weren't just fanboys geeking out to go see it I think most people that were fans I gotta think probably liked it I can't really see how any real fan of the Watchmen could take much issue with the way they did the movie unless they just don't like movies or unless they just have a real problem with how they did the ending differently because that's the only uh, really the only major difference between that again that I, I try to rack my brain like it's almost you know scene for scene in many ways Obviously Zack Snyder puts his own touch on a lot of things and has to, you know, arrange things in a different way because it's a movie. Uh, but for the most part, it's I mean, it's it's such it's straight up adaptation. But Do, don't don't they have the unorig-
1: weird Yeah, I mean, don't they have the weird purple cat in the film during like one of the scenes? I,
2: I believe the cat. Yeah, I believe the cat isn't. God, does nice. the cat have a name? Oh man. Well the cat is actually it's in Doomsday Clock, so I thought the cat died in the comic, but I know it died. I, I just watched the movie a couple of weeks ago. The cat does die in the movie. Yeah, uh, the cat gets
1: vaporized. The cat
2: does have a name, too.
1: God, see, I folks? I offhand no. See, folks, we do we do. Bubastis,
2: Bubastis.
1: That's a stupid name. <laughs> we do our
2: research. <laughs> we do our research live. Actually, I think in Doomsday Clock, I'm pretty sure that that was not the same cat because I think the cat I, I,
1: I, I do know that they clo- that he clones the cat because That's the so alludes to there being him. like several versions. But now, now we can address kind of like the 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 900 pound elephant in the room. It's it's where you know comics and films diverge, and with the Watchmen, the only big-ass difference was the ending. I already told you that in the comic, giant psychic squids fall down from the sky and blow people's heads off. And in the film, it's a bit more generic. Uh, The film makes it seem like there's a potential alien invasion, and basically New York, Moscow, all the major cities, they just blow up, which, as I saw it, it just seems more appropriate compared to giant squids. Because other than other, other than Dr. Manhattan and his giant blue swinging dong being the only super-powered being, this ultra-serious, ultra-realistic comic then allowing giant squids to fall from the sky, that, that didn't bother me when Zack Snyder said, nah, this is even too much for me. And this is a guy that's known I, for adding... I kind of wish
2: we had the giant squids. I think in the comic, they were not they were giant squids but they were i think there was all part of like they he hired a production team like a movie team to create the to create these things i don't think they were even actual i don't think they found actual giant squids from a weird dimension i think they were part of a production
1: yeah i and mean then, the whole thing was just like an alien invasion
2: fake. But then in the in the movie, the big thing about the movie is yeah, the cities just blew up. But the key to that was that they left these traces, these like tachyon particles or whatever that connected that that attack to Doctor Manhattan, who had left Earth because he was fed up with everybody you know getting on his case about everything about his powers, uh, giving potentially giving people cancer, which is all part of Veidt's plan too. So I thought the way that the, the the movie handled the ending, it made a lot more sense within the wider plot of the book to not have it just be random aliens. Or- or random giant squids or what have you from another dimension. It was actually pinned on Doctor Manhattan, and that tied right in to everything Vite had been doing before that, setting up Doctor Manhattan to you know to lose his mind and to, to want to leave the Earth because everybody was turning against him because they, they did the whole thing, uh, bringing up the ex-girlfriend, saying that they had all gotten cancer from him, yada yada yada. So in that sense, I thought the movie it just it just made more sense. I like I wanted to see giant squids just for the visual effect. I would have loved giant squids, but plot wise, I think. the... The the idea of trying to pin it on Dr. Manhattan just added so much to the story and added so much more drama to the conclusion of the film because Manhattan realizes he's been duped, he's been tricked, Uh, it's blamed on him, but he still has to make that tough decision, he still has to decide, well, he's right though, Vite is right we have to let people think this because it is going to bring world peace. It is going to bring the U S and Russia away from the brink of war. And I do, as I did in the comics have to go kill Rorschach. Now, it, <laughs> fun, everybody. You, you know, so I you, thought it added more drama to his decision, you know, cause he, cause yeah. it, in his rage, his battle against Vite, yeah, Now it's now it's personal. Whereas in the, in the comic, it might not have been as personal because it wasn't blamed on him. I mean, you can see his initial rage in the film when he's going after Vite, but you then see him realize, and you know, especially when Vite zaps him, and that's when Bubasis dies in, in the film. Um, he zaps him with this thing, and you know Vite thinks he's got him, but you know Manhattan just reforms himself. He's like, "Who do you think you are? I, 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 I came out of nothing when I when I died the first time. You think you can destroy me?" And you see this anger in him, but then he he has the realization that what Vite has done now that it's been done, it's irreversible. And the effects are going to be world peace. And Manhattan has to make the decision. As much as I might want to vaporize Veit, I have to let him live. And I actually have to go vaporize Rorschach because he's the only one here that's going to go out and go telling everybody what, what just happened
1: and, and lead to, to worse outcomes. And uh, no, I'm glad you brought that up. And I, 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 it, it just makes me curious now because I guess I must not have really considered it the first time I started, you know, reading more about the online forums or they're going over those specific di- uh, differences. Uh, believe it or not, the bigger schism online, like on the Watchmen Reddit, I think it's still around, was whether or not uh, there should have ever been the cover the dong cut because apparently there was a FX artist who literally spent his entire time working on the watchman, working with the swinging motion. And I'm a lesser human being for noticing that. But with, with that specific ending difference, like I could see how it would bug some people, but I don't think it changes the overall impact of what's happening because at the end of the day, you know, um, Adrian Vite, AKA Ozymandias, he still does what he's doing. uh, Dr. Manhattan still intends to just go with it and kill Rorschach, who's going to be the only person willing to go out and tell the world. And ultimately, like the ending is still the same. I don't think that really impacts the ending in a drastic way. I think it's really just came down to how it was executed. And when you really think about it, yeah, there's a slight difference because who are they really pinning the blame on? Is it Dr. Manhattan or is it like... The, the squids, whatever. I, I don't think it does. But yeah?
2: Not to the overall story of, of how it affects the world. Um, because either way, the point is, there's a big disaster, and the world realizes there's bigger threats out there, so we have to come together and achieve world peace. And that's the same basic story. I think more from the aspect of the the pathway of the characters themselves, uh, just from Dr. Manhattan's specific story arc, uh, Silk Spectre and Night Owl, that the three of their intertwined kind of story, I think that it makes that part a lot more dramatic, especially when Manhattan at the end goes to and has to kill Rorschach because Rorschach says, fuck this, I'm, I'm going to go tell everybody, I don't care, you can kill me if you want, you can stop me if you want, and of course Manhattan does exactly that, as he does both in the comic and the movie. I just felt, I felt an extra... I mean, I think most people criticize the movie's ending, so I'm probably coming at it from a different angle. I, I, I actually like the movie ending better because I just think character-wise it adds a little more drama and emotion to that final scene when Rorschach is, con- is confronting fight and uh, kind of realizing that even though I'm personally the one that's been screwed over, I personally I, – I, I fled the earth because this guy framed me, and now he's framing me for this whole thing, but I'm still ultimately going to side with him because I, I – I guess agree with what he doesn't agree with what he did, but he recognizes that now it has been done, that the result will be the piece that everybody wants to see. So you got to vaporize Warshak. What are you going to do? But yeah, it doesn't drastically change it. It's just just a little tweak I'd say, but it's a tweak that I do like, even though I would have, would not have minded seeing some giant squids. I
1: I think I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I personally, you know, always liked the explosion better, but I think where you're coming at, at it from, I think it just makes the whole thing feel more intense because of what it forces Dr. Manhattan and the other characters to do. It almost feels like it's continuing to drive the intensity. Whereas in the comics, after the attack, everything just kind of dies down.
2: Right. Which means that the series, the HBO series, which I did not watch all of, I, I started watching it and just couldn't really get that into it, but they specifically mentioned the giant squids in that one. So I guess that is a sequel to the comics and not to the film.
1: Yeah, and, it, and they made that explicit. And uh, I know the the series may have been really contentious. A lot of people I know who are hardcore Watchmen fans have called it very highly produced fan fiction. But, uh, you know, it, it brings us to this next question. Within the last couple of years, within the last several years primarily, like Watchmen is, DC has been trying to milk the shit out of it. We're seeing Watchmen action figures. We're seeing Watchmen crossovers. There was before the Watchmen, uh, you know, titles that came out going into the detailed backgrounds of all the main characters, and some were executed in a proper way, some weren't. Um, we we can get into the you know the the specifics of that, but I mean, I, I feel and I I almost understand why Alan Moore's always been kind of upset with this. The Watchmen as a series itself was always just supposed to be that. It was never intended to do anything else afterwards, much like his other stuff, like V for Vendetta. Uh, There have been rumors and rumblings of a V for Vendetta sequel film. Uh, They've never touched it in the comics. But like V for Vendetta is an example of a very condensed, very specific, you know, enclosed limited series. And he always wanted The Watchmen to be that way. And while many people were always hoping for for sequels and for follow ups to it, uh, when those did come out, they were always like everything else, criticized. Um, I I think I take Alan Moore's side, and maybe it's because I'm more of an armchair quarterback. But at the same time, it's like also it doesn't really matter. Once DC got the rights, of course, of course, we were going to see movies and games and everything else. But sure. but I mean, the, the this question is you know is it, kind of a hard one. Do you think that the Watchmen should have just ended when it ended instead of giving us the Watchmen world that we have now?
2: That's a difficult question because, yes, I sort of do because it is such a perfect story that when you take something so perfect and something that was somebody's baby, you know, Alan Moore's entire baby, it's all he wanted it to be. It probably didn't need to be more. But like I said, <laughs> Uh, when DC has control of this thing, when Warner brothers, uh, media, AT&T, this corporate conglomerate has control of something and can make money off it, they're going to do every damn thing they can to make money off it. Um, I think we could have done without, I have mixed views on this. Everything I've seen, I, I have, I've dabbled in some of those before Watchmen books I had nothing none nothing I saw there has really impressed me nor have I heard really anybody that has been impressed by any of that stuff that stuff seemed at best interesting but and at worst unnecessary uh, or maybe at worst terrible <laughs> depending on which which ones we're talking about Ipso um, facto yeah unnecessary for sure I would say yeah um you didn't you didn't need all that at the same time I love the the movie. I can't say I'm upset that the movie was made because I I really do think it's one of the best adaptations of a comic book I've ever seen. But leaving the movie aside, I think the big one to talk about is Doomsday Clock, is bringing those characters back and trying to bring those characters somehow into DC continuity. And it's still not... Well, I guess it is in DC Continuity because right now in Death Metal, uh, Wally West has somehow acquired, this is all very com- confusing, but Wally West has somehow acquired those powers of Dr. Manhattan. So I guess they are acknowledging that story in DC Continuity, but it also didn't totally make sense in DC Continuity.
1: So dude, dude I, have, as you know. I have so many mixed feelings about that series, about Doomsday Clock specifically, because we we used to have a... a a, uh, a Patreon exclusive show way yonder back where we literally just did breakdowns, and then I got to the point where, with continuity issues and with printing primarily, we we ended up stopping. So I feel like this is the spiritual successor to it. And uh, you know, I'll start off with this. I was excited for Doomsday Clock. I was I was not a fan. I've read like I've probably read like two of the before the Watchmen titles. Um, I, I don't remember. I think it was before the Watchmen the comedian before the Watchmen, Silk Spectre. And like, I, I, I can't tell you anything specific about them other than they were there. But with this series, actually bringing them into the same world as the DC Comics proper post-rebirth in 2017. Yeah, because I just graduated from college when that happened. My God. Um, that series had so many good things about it that got really outshined by the fact that you had people who were mad that they were integrating them they were mad that they were being brought back to begin with and then for the people that wanted to really love it like i have i have a freaking doomsday clock t-shirt with batman holding the comedian's little smiley face uh button with the blood on it like i i i bought the t-shirt so that says something but the fact that they kept Pushing this series off because I feel like Jeff Johns was literally writing it issue by issue right before deadlines. That also killed a lot of people. So for some, they said it was the Watchmen curse, but uh, may, maybe now it's it's finally time we address it.
2: I mean, it was that schedule that killed it for me. I was yeah. I was really enjoying it, and then you just it just lost the flow because suddenly you're getting two, three months between issues here. And uh, I, I think that really killed the momentum of it for me a little bit. But as far as the story itself, I have, I have mixed views. I, I, as a, I love it as a Superman story. Let me say that. I think it's a great yes. Superman story. And I like a lot of the use of – I like the use of the newer characters in that. Oh, let, uh, let's yeah. go ahead
1: and do this. Let's go ahead and rewind. Mark, give, give a quick run through of Doomsday Clock, what it oh, is boy. and why it is important now.
2: Ooh, that's a tough one. Let me you, I believe in oh, you. Let me take my uh my layman's uh version of it and you can try to add any holes I miss because I, I I've missed some of the how, how exactly things did tie into current events.
1: I gave the but, poor man's watchmen, so it's possible.
2: All right. So so basically we're in the watchman, and it's a little confusing because we're in different times in different universes. So you're you're starting in the watchman universe, and uh basically Let's see, Adrian Vite. What is it? They followed Manhattan. You got to help me here. Now I'm trying to remember. They 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 traced Manhattan to a different universe. Ultimately, was that right? Because Veidt yeah. wanted to find Manhattan.
1: Yeah, uh, Veidt basically at the beginning of the novel, we're introduced to you know him again, Ozymandias. But things are a little different. Right now, he has cancer. And apart from that, he also yeah. feels like, or or he doesn't. Or the, the other part of that is he fears that the is of his world and all the other worlds, something's off. Things are falling apart. And, uh, you know, obviously that could be said in a world where Richard Nixon gets multiple terms and he's succeeded by President Robert Redford, which is an interesting plug. But uh, he, he basically realizes, listen, something's going on to our world and to other worlds we think it has to do with dr manhattan therefore he recruits this new rorschach we know it's not the old one why because dr manhattan blew him up and and they oddly recruit two new characters and if there's one thing i love about this series it's it's these two characters that were introduced one was the mime absolutely and the other was the marionette yeah
2: yep mime and the marionette
1: yeah they they are you ever did see they, they are my favorite. Like, I, I, I loved that. Just, the whole yeah, series agree. was worth it just to introduce them. But they're basically- we see those
2: characters again? That's the question. Do they now exist in the DC universe proper? Yes and no. Yes mm-hmm. and no. That's the problem with all of this. It's, it's really unclear exactly what really happened and what counts. But it counts in some sense because it is acknowledged as a story in, in later stories.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this, like, folks, if we're struggling, everyone struggles with this because by the time it ends, I think it took three years to come out with all 12 issues. Yeah, and the
2: problem was, I mean, DC Rebirth directly set this up. They didn't show you, but they basically showed you Dr. Manhattan. They showed you Wally West. Uh, They set up this whole thing where, um, you know, the the universe was changed by somebody. It's implied it was Dr. Manhattan uh, during the Flashpoint. So the story is all there. But then it took them, I think, you know, two years to come out with it, and then once they, it took them two years to start coming out with it, it took two more years to get the whole damn thing out. So by that point, so much has changed in the regular DC continuity that it all is very messy to mash it all up together.
1: Yeah, and I mean, this is... I, I feel like the whole thing's kind of been dropped because, yes, we, we're we seeing it pay off now in like a Dark Knight's Death Metal, but for a lot of other stories, you know, t- taking Wally West out of it, I think there, there were a lot of editorial issues, and it mainly had to do with those missing deadlines. Jeff Johns was given such a hulking task of integrating them and integrating the Watchmen characters, not just into the DC universe, but also having it be something which is going to be on par with like a crisis on infinite Earths, while not at the same time, because it's going to be a self-contained story. So what we have here is this real schism, which I, I get why some people were confused. And you called it a good Superman story. Because once you read all of it, you realize, oh, this is a good Superman story. Even though you read the first, like, seven issues or so, and you're like, well, where the hell is Superman?
2: <laughs> yeah, and that, then you, start, it, you start off with him in the first uh, issue having this nightmare. And um, and then and, and Lois Lane is like... Wait, do you have nightmares? He's like, I never had before. So it's all set up like as big Superman thing, and then he disappears for like six, six issues, and it becomes a Watchmen story, and then it becomes back to a DC story with some Watchmen in it. So it's 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 like it's trying. To, it never has a clear identity. It kind of morphs its identity from what first starts off as seeming like a Watchmen sequel, and then it turns into something that's a more of like a continuity affecting DC story, and it's it's unclear if. It feels like you could have done Doomsday Clock, the story, without the Watchmen characters. It also feels like you could have done some kind of cool Watchmen sequel with the mime and the marionette and done something there. I don't know if they needed to be the same thing,
1: <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think that's the problem with this series, because as a reader, I felt confused with who the focus is supposed to be on. And I can only imagine, and I I don't think the series could have been done by anyone other by uh, other than Jeff Johns because if there's one man that uh, that knows DC continuity pre pre crisis and post crisis and all the wackiness in between, it, it's that dude. And even reading that today is a struggle because you can tell that he's still trying to figure it out in the process. Right. Yep. Like one of the big problems that I brought up when we were doing commentary at the time was. I don't think that this is even the right Earth. Why? Because you've got this Superman who's wearing a costume that, yeah, the main continuity Superman is, but that's certainly not, you know, Rebirth Batman. And Lex is a bad guy now, but he's teaming up with the Justice League. And of course, many other questions came up, like we eventually see the unmasked Rorschach and we're like, why is Rorschach a black guy? Not that there's a problem. I think black Rorschach is awesome. He was a badass character, but all these little strange things start popping up and you can't tell what was done by design and what was done by accident was, you know, this new Rorschach brought in to push the story forward and as a good character device. Yes, it was, it pays off. But then some of the other stuff is just hardly ever talked about.
2: Right. Yeah. And it, who the hero of this seems to change over time. I mean, first it seems like it's going to be a Superman story, but then it seems like, okay, Rorschach is kind of our hero here, but then towards the end, he kind of falls to the wayside and then it becomes more about Superman again. Or is it about Dr. Manhattan? Is it about Dr. Manhattan sort of finding his, his true self or or what have you? Um, At the end of the day, I think it's bookended by Superman's nightmare and his dream of his parents dying in the car crash with his confrontation with Dr. Manhattan uh, leading to what happens. So I guess it's a Superman story, but that begs the question, why did a Superman story need to be based around the Watchmen? Is that just because we needed someone as powerful as Dr. Manhattan to properly tell this thing or to explain away all the changes in the new 52? I mean, they needed, there's so much they're trying to tie in to the Doctor Manhattan thing, because they're really tying in the entirety history of the DCU since 2011, essentially since since Flashpoint. Uh, they're trying to tie that all in. All they all they they hardly touch on Flashpoint in this. I mean, maybe it, I think it's mentioned how he redid things or what have you when he saw this sort of uh, I think the window of opportunity created by Barry Allen going back in time. Uh, but they we're tying that in. We're tying in the rebirth. We're tying in Wally West. We're tying in Superman. Uh, we're tying in these new characters. It's just a lot. And then, like you said, if I described all of this to someone, it would sound incredibly confusing and disjointed. But because Jeff Johns wrote this, I think you nailed it. Like nobody but Jeff Johns could have pulled this off because it was a good story and it was coherent. Like I'm making it sound like it wasn't maybe just by, by talking it out. But it feels like a cohesive, coherent story. It just seems to jump focus a little bit. Um, at yeah. some point it seems like it's the Miami marionette show. You, th- you know, they get like two whole issues dedicated to them. Uh, so it's, it's hard to tell where it's going at first and what the point of it is. Um, but I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know. I, I did enjoy it a lot. So
1: it's just, it's just hard to encapsulate. And even if we did an entire episode, just doing breakdowns of the series, these these issues still come up and i mean part of part of the problem for me was the artwork because jeff johns is not a very wordy person but sometimes i think he relies on his artist too much because just like you know i i think what's great about a comic book is that you can suggest things just through the pictures alone and you don't need the the commentary of them basically stating what's obvious with this book there are a lot of confusing moments and I, 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 the the name of the artist escapes me. Like one of the oddest moments is actually I think in like the second issue when we're introduced to the uh, to the mime and the marionette. And what, what I love about these guys is their dynamic. They're really. Fresh criminals, like Gary Frank is the Gary Frank, Gary Gary Frank. Yeah, Gary Frank. Like he's talented. His work is phenomenal on this. I thought. Yeah, like he's he's extremely talented, but there's a there's a disconnect between him and Jeff Johns. I know that through his his uh, Gary Frank's work on other stuff. I think it has more to do with the writer he's working with because those combinations often make or break a story, and I feel that with this one, there's this odd disconnect between his intention w- between jeff john's intentions and that guy's artwork because one of the one of the awkward scenes in issue two is when we're introduced to the mime and marionette and we're seeing a flashback of them robbing a bank and i think this is hilarious it's where you have the mime come in and the mime is his namesake he doesn't talk and he gestures and what you're basically seeing is him pointing his fingers at people like he's pointing a gun at them and everyone's like why, why are you all ducking like he he doesn't have a gun and Turns out he has invisible guns. But what's really cool is uh, at one. I point... love that scene because they, they built that up for a couple of, a couple issues. <laughs> where you think he
2: is just a nut who you just you know pretends he has guns, but then then you finally have a few issues in you see one work, you're like, Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah I don't know how he got this powers, but he has a real power, and most people in the Watchman universe don't have powers. I think Dr. Manhattan is the only one with actual
1: superpowers. So And, that's and what explained. Yeah, and what I love is they never explain, like how are they how are they invisible? I mean, at one point, uh like the freaking uh, Marionette has one of those like sh- really sharp like wire strings and she's leaping around she she cuts someone's fingers off and they're like how yeah. the hell do you do that and then you see it slightly shining as you zone in like it's really cool but then okay here, here's where dr manhattan shows up and the the way the panel is he's about to kill them because that's his thing he blows people up but he doesn't and he just kind of looks at the marionette and the way that it zooms in i think we actually like we were messaging each other trying to figure this out I thought that it was sexually suggestive, suggested that he didn't kill her because he had a thing for her. And if we know something I thought he about, just
2: recognized her pregnancy, her already existing pregnancy.
1: And, and that's the thing. You're right about that. But the problem is when I started Googling and working my powers of the internet, there were a lot of other people confused by that. Because if we know one thing about Dr. Manhattan, it's that he's kind of like God. He's, um, he's omnipotent and he's omnipresent. So he lives in the past, the future, and the present day all at the same time. So that was one of those things. But what we also know just from a more deeper character level, he has a thing for younger women. Uh, it's just one of those strange little yeah. side notes. So as you're, as you're looking at this, the way the artwork was, the body language and everything else, it was just often kind of confusing. And that's something that happens throughout the series it's like they're trying to suggest something or they're trying to allude to something and the artwork doesn't match the intention of how i think jeff johns wanted the panels done i think both both him and the artist want to shine but they shine in contrast to each other not because they complement each other it's not like a a brian michael bendis and uh, gabriel delato like where those guys are just a freaking powerhouse writer and yeah, that, artist.
2: Name. That combination on Secret War was just phenomenal.
1: With this one, we have a great writer and we have a great artist that seems to be brought down by each other.
2: I could see that a little bit. I mean, yeah, I I took that scene as as the pregnancy, but it wasn't clear. It wasn't it definitely wasn't clear. And you know it you realize it more when you realize she's pregnant later on, but you don't yeah. necessarily know that right away.
1: And, and I mean I think this just brings back the point though. It's like We have so many great new characters that are also being introduced. This isn't really a Watchmen story. And I think I feel almost betrayed because on the outset of it, as they were doing all the promotion, this was supposed to be the Watchmen's introduction to the DC universe. Yet at the same time, it's also not.
2: Yeah, it sort of is their write-off also. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't seem like you're going to see Dr. Manhattan anymore, uh, or Rorschach. Maybe Maim and Marionette could appear if they want to at some point, but this doesn't seem like it, the intention was to introduce the Watchmen characters. It almost seems like the Watchmen characters were used as a gimmick to get people over to this story that Jeff Johns wanted to tell uh, about that really ultimately, again, became a Superman story. And it's still hard to see where this event... Fits within the current events of DC continuity, even though they've acknowledged it, and it does. But there's the whole thing with Black Adam and him controlling a whole country. And did that stuff ever happen in the other DC continuity that we've been following? I don't believe so. So how long of a period did this time take you know this you know this uh, this happen over? But if you get into these thoughts too much, well, we know the answer, Revs. right? we know it. We know the answer. Yeah, and
1: I I mean- want because comics. It's because comics. And I want to look at this objectively just as its own story, but the part that kills me is we're constantly told it's not. This is just a piece of the puzzle. And I think when you're doing that, specifically with a limited series, that doesn't really help it age well over time. Like I really like Civil War by Marvel, but I would not tell people it's something that ages well. I mean, same, same goes for a lot of things. You just never know. It, it really depends on whether or not this is a story you can read just in full a decade from now and still do well. And I keep bringing up Secret War because that's the only series we've given a 10 out of 10. When we do our, our actual story breakdowns, folks, which we, we usually do, and I'm usually the one that goes off on tangents on episodes like this, like that was an episode Mark and I both gave, both gave separately a 10 out of 10 it's perfect as it was written in 2005 and it's perfect when it's read now with doomsday clock you know we've had a few years to simmer on it post post finishing and i can't really say it is because it had some cool moments but all those moments are really separate of each other And not something that really creates a good long-term story overall. And I think that's the issue of the Watchmen. Mark, I I know that I don't want to spoil it for you because I I think you should watch the rest of the HBO series. I think it's worth it. I enjoyed it. But what I will tell you is that if you're really expecting the the cast and crew to really matter from the original story, um, that's... That's not really going to happen. And I think it was done intentionally to give you the spirit of the Watchman in a way which is unique to the show, which for David Lindelof, I I totally respect that. But at the same time, I think that leads us to, to really kind of like the biggest question: Does the Watchman still even need the Watchman? Because as we've talked about, the way the Watchman has influenced comics, games, movies afterwards, it's like the spirit of the Watchman has always been better done when it's respected. Versus when it's the Watchmen outright trying to capitalize on it being the Watchmen, if that makes sense.
2: Boy, that is a that is a deep, deep philosophical dive. It keeps me try. up at night. <laughs> like I don't think, I don't think we need more Watchmen. Even though we're probably going to get more Watchmen in some shape or form, because now it is part of the AT and Warner Brothers beast, and if they see little opportunities to make money, they'll make money. I don't know how successful the Watchmen show was. I don't know if they're creating a, a you know a second season to that or it's not. It's dead. Okay, that's, that's nice. I never got into it. If you if you recommend it, I'll give it a chance. But from what I can gather, it's less of a sequel to Watchmen as it is a story that happens to sort of take place in this place where Watchmen once happened.
1: That's the best way to describe it. And uh, that was David Lindelof, the writer and director. Like, that's what he wanted. He wanted this to be a real standalone thing, which I think is good because if you can have a story that's good for people that are now just coming into it for the first time, as well as people that know the lore, it works. But, you know, like, I think, you know, Logan, uh, James Mangold's Logan. Oh my gosh, superhero deconstruction, total noir film. That was insane
2: top five all-time comic movie maybe top three i have to really break it down. i think think it won an oscar
1: i think it won an oscar i think so are you
2: gonna you gonna make me do live research again
1: please pretty please
2: logan oscar logan oscar oscar nominee best adapted screenplay
1: that's still good for a comic film
2: actually was it just a nominee or did it win let's find out
1: i mean it's not a direct
2: adaptation yeah best adapted screenplay yeah, huh, there they, you go. Good one.
1: Yeah, I mean, Logan totally freaking deserves it. I mean, that film- felt...
2: It's it's adapted from sort of Old Man Logan and sort of some other X-Men comics.
1: Yeah, I mean, that Logan is a film that is really part of that neo-superhero genre that couldn't have existed without The Watchmen. And I mean, as we go back, it's like I, not even- Because we know that Frank Miller saw this, The Watchmen- scripts as he was writing the dark knight we can't even say that the dark knight it it could really be the way it is now without that maybe for the better maybe for the worse. but i mean it's it's these stories that take that question and run with it that do better and i think that's the sign of something great when it's able to inspire without having to be directly part of
2: right right yeah and i think um logan is a great example of a, a deconstructive movie that still stays really true to the character, we could probably do a whole show on that movie, and maybe we will. Maybe we'll do one for Patreon. Oh, totally. I don't. I don't want to give us too much Patreon homework right now, but <laughs> but there's there's a lot out there, a lot out there to do. And Logan's one of my favorite favorite movies. So uh, any chance to watch that and discuss it, I will. I, I'll leap that.
1: Have you seen the black and white version? No. It is so good. All right, I'll have to watch that no. one before we discuss it. <laughs> um, you know, we're, I, I think we've covered a lot of ground in trying to really understand the, the question of why the Watchmen works and why it doesn't work. My, my question is this, and I think this is the fun part, because this is what, th- th- like, as much as I shit on a lot of the stuff that came out afterwards, I still love this series as a whole. Here's my question to you, because this been something that's been running around in my mind for years now. If you could construct your perfect Watchmen sequel what would it be?
2: Oh, geez. I don't know where to start with that one. That is a tough one. I almost want, (sighs) you really sprung this one on me, didn't you? And I have in the moment folks live in the moment. And I I have to make a sequel, right? No,
1: by by, by sequel, by sequel, I mean something that is, is in conjunction to the original limited series. So it could be a prequel. It could be a spinoff. It just has to somehow coincide with the events of what happened in the original one.
2: I see. I see. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it needs any, <laughs> I'm not sure if we need anything. I don't know if I would make one, to be honest. Like if I had to choose one, it would be the character that died. If I had to choose one character I wanted to see more from, it would be Rorschach. But he's dead. But maybe we have a cult of Rorschach. But that's what the Watchmen series is. So maybe I'm actually asking for the series that I don't that I don't, I don't even like.
1: Oh, do you know about what Tom King's doing? Oh, he, the yeah, I know he's doing a Rorschach thing, and it is a direct sequel to it. Like I, I, I know I, I threw a hard question on it's you. It's a Direct what? sequel to Watchmen. Yeah. So it directly ties in. It is in continuity now. So that's probably out of the. In Watchmen continuity,
2: in what does Watchman that mean continuity. in DC continuity too?
1: Are they two separate ones now? We don't know. Ah, shit.
2: And is it the same Rorschach? So is Tom King going to tell me he didn't die? Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm in for?
1: Tom King has already pissed off so many people. I don't think he could do that. Could he? Fuck. Oh, Fuck. I
2: I think he could. Don't. Care.
1: <laughs> I, I I will agree with you, no matter where my imagination has taken me. I don't think there's a reason why this beautiful masterpiece of a story should ever be touched on by anyone else. I think everything falls short.
2: Other than the movie, which I think was just a good adaptation, I'm not upset about Doomsday Clock. Like I enjoyed it, but was it necessary? I mean, the best part of Doomsday Clock to me is the Superman story within it, which tells you you could have built that around anything else. And the mime and the marionette. But you could have made those characters up without pretending they were from the Watchmen universe. So you really could have done all of this without the Watchmen universe.
1: I feel like if I, and this is totally me, armchair quarterbacking, Jeff Johns, if by some miracle you're listening to this, I love you. Um, I, I feel like the mime and marionette could have very easily been introduced as Batman villains. Or maybe, I, I think if they were written the same way, you could have literally just introduced them in their own series, and just by showing what makes them different from so many other bad and guys. Marionette's basically Absolutely.
2: Harley Quinn, isn't she? I mean, for all intents and purposes,
1: she she is, but without the, the the canned jokes and stuff. I mean, the level of violence is there. With the mime, like there's still so much you could figure out with him.
2: The mime is great. The mime is a character that is worth exploring.
1: Well While she might be like the other Harley Quinn, or the yeah, the, the marionette. I keep well, the, mixing them up. Uh, while the marionette might totally be a Harley Quinn knockoff, the mime is totally something different. Yeah, the mime is great.
2: Give me more mime. Give me a mime series, Tom King. But don't, I don't want it by Tom King. I'm joking about that.
1: No, Matt. put Matt Fraction. Matt Fraction had sure. a character called the Clown who was basically the mime before the mime. Not as detailed, but he was a Hawkeye villain. Like, I would see Matt Fraction do that. I think those are characters like, you know, we don't want more Watchmen. We want more mime and marionette. I think that's what we're going for because there's so much that could be told. There's so much that was not explored. I think the thing that we can both say we agree on is the Watchmen starts and ends in a way which feels final. Yeah, for
2: sure. And that's why I think anything that ends in a way that feels final is going to struggle when they try to do sequels or anything like that. And I think the, the one thing that I think is great is the movie because it's not a sequel. It's an adaptation for a wider audience and it's an adaptation that stayed so, so, so true to the comic, other than the little tweak at the end that, I mean, I don't know any Watchmen fan that doesn't like that movie. I mean, I'm sure they exist. I'm sure they, there's, but I think people like well, that. Well, the
1: dong cut is pretty controversial. The longer one? Well, well the oh, one oh, where they, they try they and cover cut? him up. Oh, they cover it up in one? Yeah, they, they, they have multiple ones because apparently the dong was not allowed to be seen in certain countries. Oh, well, I saw the
2: dong. That's
1: all I know, we all saw
2: the dong here. I saw the dong and the, the dong one. All right, well, that's probably time to wrap it up. On
1: that. <laughs> um, that, yeah, no, I think that's it. I think the watchman should just be left alone. Yeah, I agree, but it won't be
2: so. All right, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, the one person who I trusted to do it right was Jeff Johns, and I can't say I'm upset with his story because I think he probably did. I love – it's, it's such a conflict because I love the story.
1: He did the best I, he could. I, I really feel like he, he did could. put the effort towards it.
2: Yeah. It just – it didn't need to have the Watchmen. We, no. we could have done all this without, without the Watchmen, mm-hmm. including introducing the mime and the marionette or what have you. Oh,
1: that's a good title, without the Watchmen. There you go. I would buy it.
2: <laughs> all right. So we wrap some things up here.
1: Yes, let's do it. Folks, please do us a favor. Leave us that five-star rating review on iTunes, support us on Patreon. If you do it before October 1st, I will send you, I will personally send you that issue of X-Men that started off, really this show too, It was our first real deep dive into a series of stories. X-Men issue one from 1992 by Chris Claremont and the master Jim Lee. Go ahead and do that while copies still remain. It's a
2: historic, historic episode historic episode historic issue not just because it is uh you know one of the it is not one of it is the highest selling comic book of all time which is also why you can find a billion of them out there but it represents the first episode of the Second Print Comics podcast, and you really can't put a price on that. Actually, you can't. This podcast is free. It's zero. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, but I, I do want to remind you guys as, all, as well, uh, as you mentioned, the five-star reviews are wonderful. Uh, you can send us those. Send us a little screenshot. We send you that copy of X-Men number one. You can also do so by joining the Patreon at any level, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. We are pumping out the bonus content. Uh, we started doing our monthly Zoom calls with our patrons. Uh, we're doing extra reviews, bonus reviews there bonus rants and the content is just going to increase as we get more patrons as we get more people on there uh viewing and listening to that content what, what's so, what's the
1: goal we have to meet before we start bringing on people actually within the industry so
2: yes i should mention that we have a goal and we have a good list and some decent connections in the comic book industry and uh, we're going to start utilizing those connections we said 300 dollars a month we're actually already at well, as the time of this recording, we're let's see, we have sixty-five a month from our patrons. So we're not we're almost a third of the way there and we just started this darn thing. So a few more of you fools hop on here, especially if you hop on at the uh the higher levels, certain levels you get to produce a show, you get to tell us what to review, uh, certain levels you get to have a mention in the show, a mention of a product or your blog or your website, whatever it may be, uh, and of course the crossover level, the epic crossover over level at 25, you get to be uh, you get to a trade paperback, a graphic novel, every three months sent to you hand-selected by Remzo and myself so many, many perks over there in the Patreon, highly recommend you checking it out, um, but if we hit 300 a month not if, it's a when, we will start Incorporating monthly interviews into the show as
1: well. You guys are going to love it. Anyway, that's about it. Follow us on all social media. You know how that works. As always, I'm Ramsa W. Martinez.
2: And I'm Mark Claire. And before I let you go, I don't want you to forget you can also find us on the North South Connection feed, an amazing pop culture and pro wrestling feed. A lot of awesome nerdy stuff to dig into there, including every single Sunday, the second print Comics spot. But with that being said, there's really only one more thing to ask the people. And that is to Ramzo.
1: Read comics, change the world. Good
2: night, America. Good night, friends.